This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. I'm joined by my co-host, Sam. And today we are discussing um, the third book in Nassim Taleb's series on the randomness in black swans called The Bed of Procrustes. And so we're going to start with a short uh, explanation of what the book is, the whole premise of it. And as we'll see, the book has a lot of quotes in it. And Sam and I are going to discuss the quotes that we liked most or disliked most. So The Bed of Procrustes, the title of the book, refers to an old Greek, Procrustes, who had an estate not too far from Athens. And he had the habit of inviting travelers inside his, his house, giving them a, a very nice dinner, and then putting them to bed in the um, guest room. And the guest room had a, had a bed. And Procrustes was very particular in that he insisted that the bed would be of a perfect fit for, his, for the travelers or the person that would uh, lie in it. And so what he would do when the bed was too short for a tall traveler, he would cut off the legs of the traveler so he would fit perfectly. And when the bed was too large, what he would do is would, he would stretch the shorter of his travelers. And so the general theme of the book is all related to this procrustean bed. So the book contains a number of aphorisms. And so because I'm not a native English speaker, I had to look up what an aphorism actually is. And it's a short, concise expression to express a, a general truth or principle. And so Sam texted me when we were reading this book that the book is basically like Taleb's Twitter feed because it's just short sentences that perfectly fit inside a tweet with, which make you think. And so every aphorism in the book is about a procrustean bed of some sort. So we humans facing limits of knowledge and things we cannot or do not observe, we resolve tension by squeezing life and the world into crisp commoditized ideas. And so we reduce knowledge to fit the model that we do understand. And so this has explosive consequences, which are touched upon in, in a lot of these aphorisms. So Sam, what was your uh, opinion on the book? I was just going to say that I thought it was a standalone book from the series, but I think it's kind of part of it, but it sort of doesn't quite directly relate in the ways that the other ones Ah, either way, it's a very different yeah. type of book to any of his other books. But yeah, I did enjoy it for sure. I guess I just wasn't expecting it to be this sort of book that it was. So I, if I was reading it for pleasure, I wouldn't have tried to read it in a week ready to talk about it because <laughs> it's sort of, it's not a mm -hmm. book that you just kind of like go through all in one go. It's, it's nice as a, it would be great as a, a thing if you just saw one quote, well, one aphorism each day kind of thing. And, been kind of had it pop up a few times in your day for you to think about because <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean i'm going to enjoy discussing some of our favorite ones with you but so many things that sort of pop up you're like oh this would be great to think about and then you just have to think about the next one straight away because you kind of need to get through the book and you don't have time to like go deep with it like each one you could really write quite a lot about if you felt like it or it'd be an interesting one just to have at your dinner table if you're kind of bored of sitting with someone so maybe if you've got 12 weeks stuck alone with the <laughs> with your girlfriend at the moment you might want to just pop out a few of these quotes just to discuss at dinner time maybe 
could be quite useful. Yeah, fully agree. I think the book is best read in a physical form. So I think you, as well as I, we read it um, or we listened to it in audiobook form. And it doesn't allow you or it makes it hard to take a break and think about stuff. And so I would re recommend reading it in physical form. And I think a good way to consume this book would be uh, to have it next to like your toilet, perhaps, where you, mm. every time you go to the bathroom, you just pick it up and you read an aphorism and you have some, a few minutes where you sit down and you can just think about it. Or whenever you go on a walk, you just pick one and you, you give yourself some time to consider the, what the, the, the aphorism means, what it talks about. And I think that would be a good way to, to, to approach the book. Yeah. Cause there's so many in there. As in, it'd be nice if somehow you could learn all of them and then like whack them out at a time when it's like appropriate. <laughs> and like, oh, I have a quote for this moment right now, but you're never really going to remember all of them. There's a few that maybe you'll sort of remember some of the general principles, but it's not, as in when you read a book, you kind of get the whole feeling. And even though you don't remember the specific words, you kind of get the principles of like the black swan. And when you kind of see these things happening, you can like, oh, explain, okay, this is why this is happening. And you can think about it. Whereas each quote, you don't really remember like a single quote that well when you read like a huge list of them. Whereas hopefully after we've discussed this, we'll at least remember 10 of them perhaps, <laughs> or even a few of those ones, which at least will be carried with us. Yeah, what, what I did notice was that if you would give me a few of the quotes in the book, I would immediately know that they were written by Nassim Taleb. You know? mm, definitely. Because a lot of, yeah, a lot of his, his, his views that um, come from his, in, that were expressed in his previous works, Black Swan and, and Randomness, that, I mean, it, it's super clear and, and he hates economists and journalists and a lot of the social sciences. And so it's, it's very clear in, in, in a lot of these, these quotes and aphorisms. Yeah, yeah. It does cover a lot of his sort of principles. And something I've been thinking about actually is sort of style of authors. And because I've read something just that was released by an author that we both like, who put his thoughts into the coronavirus situation. First and foremost, in order to defeat the virus, we need to share information globally. That's the big advantage of humans over viruses. A coronavirus in China and a coronavirus in the US cannot swap tips about how to infect humans. But China can teach the US many valuable lessons about coronavirus and how to deal with it. What an Italian doctor discovers in Milan in the early morning might well save lives in Tehran by evening. When the UK government hesitates between several policies, it can get advice from the Koreans who have already faced a similar dilemma a month ago. But for this to happen, we need a spirit of global cooperation and trust. It's a bit of a long quote. I would say, is that from uh, Harari? Yeah, exactly. I think mainly the coronavirus in China swapping tips with infecting humans in the US was like the bit where I was like, that's so just so you around there, Harari. I mean, if it had been done in his, his voice about it, you'd be just like, well, it's funny how they just reading a little bit of it kind of just takes you to the feeling of his writing kind of thing. Same like Bill Bryson, I'm reading some more of him and just a chapter of Bill Bryson, you're like, I'm reading Bill Bryson right now. It can be anywhere. So I have been thinking about like trying to work on my writing skills and just sort of try and write things in the style that they write just as an exercise. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to try and make you think like the way they think and make stuff yeah. in that sense. Uh, for me, it, it does become clear what a very unique thinker Taleb is, mm. you know, because I think a lot of us would be proud to come up with one of these aphorisms. And he just has like a whole book full of them, which are all in themselves very interesting things to think about. Mm, definitely. Although I think 
well, from doing my comedy course, in the same way that you know, some people are naturally quite good at saying jokes, but you don't have to be a naturally funny person to become a comedian. As in, if you just spend a bit more time trying some different drills, you can kind of find ways to make puns when you just sort of list a bunch of objects in the gym and then like list a bit, bunch of words that you might relate to those things in the gym and then just think about the ways they're said and you'll find ones that have double meanings. Then you can just think of little jokes that have a double meaning in it and you end up with like a ton of puns. In the same way, I think you can think about the ways people work and like sort of the stuff that maybe annoys you in the day and the way people contradict themselves and you'll quickly end up with loads of aphorisms if you just spend an hour thinking about different weird little contradictions it's just like a practice if you just try to force yourself to write like five each day you'd quickly end up writing a book like this i feel although these are definitely of his vibe and style and some of some of them are very similar like you said one to me earlier and i was like I had a the different one, but on the same sub- subject <laughs> and was like, Oh <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I did the book make, made me feel a bit like, um, finite and infinite games where there's so much knowledge and so many insights condensed in such, uh, like in, in such small, small parts in such a short book that you feel like you, when, when you go through it once, you're like, Oh, I, I probably missed uh, 95% of all, of all the, the knowledge I could have gotten with enough study that's probably what why i would not recommend listening to the to this book but i would recommend finding a friend to read it too and swapping some quotes and having the discussion which is totally what we're going to do yeah exactly so i think uh, the audience is probably already waiting for it for to get some examples so yeah what was uh, what was one of the quotes you that stood out to you it's something i've definitely thought about a lot is your brain is most intelligent when you don't instruct it on what to do something people who take showers discover on occasions, which is essentially when you're constantly trying to do stuff, you never actually have time for your own thoughts to sort of come up with your big ideas, which happens when you're in the shower because you don't have anything to do. And so you've got like a long amount of time. And even when you're on the toilet now, you often have your phone and stuff and you're just constantly sort of distracting yourself with information. But at least when you're in the shower, you kind of can have these big ideas when you might think you're wasting time, but actually it's not. And he's got quite a few quotes that relate to the concept of wasting time and that it's really important to have free time mm-hmm. this this quote speaks to me on a, on a whole special level because i'm one of the people with the disease of i need to constantly have my mind doing something mm. i have a very hard time um, not doing anything and doing nothing and so for me uh, even showers are, are like too short to to really uh, have ideas and have uh, innovative thoughts mm. And so what I notice is sometimes when I get when I wake up in the middle of the night, I have troubles falling asleep, and it's in these moments that I have my most insightful uh, thoughts. Mm. Uh, to give an example, you know that in in my my company we've had a very big shift, and at the origin of that very big shift was me waking up at 5 a.m. and not being able to sleep and and just letting my mind go, go you know just think whatever it wants. Mm. And that was after we read uh, our first book, the first book we did, which is called The Elephant in the Brain. And so it was, uh, yeah, I should try and allow my mind to wander more than I, I do now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, mm-hmm. That was something I really like, enjoyed about the meditation thing is you're supposed to empty your brain, but it's mostly just daydreaming and thinking about things. And initially you think, well, that's such a waste of time. But after a while, you get into like really, really deep, useful stuff. And it's super awesome. Very good. All right. Uh, one of the quotes that I liked was, start quotes, there is nothing deemed harmful in many instances, 
that cannot be beneficial in some circumstances and nothing deemed beneficial that cannot harm you in some, some circumstances. The more complex the system, the weaker the notion of universality or universal. And so for me, mm. the insight is that something uh, universal doesn't exist. There's not one solution for all the problems and everything that is good for you can also be bad for you. And of course, the other way around. It's not something that you can go very deep in, but it's, it's just, I like to have like absolute truths where I consider something to be always beneficial or always good or always bad. And I think that is something that every human has because we get so much information on a daily basis, mm. especially today, that we need a way to uh, be able to understand and, and, and retain all this information. I think that's one of the key reasons why uh, humans always have the tendency to search causation and relationships between things because that makes it easier to understand. Yeah. If I, if I tell you a random string of, of numbers right now, it's going to be very hard for you to remember that. But um, if I put it into a story, in a narrative, it suddenly makes it way easier. And so that for me is, I, I noticed it with myself that whenever I hear about a certain fact, I always try to analyze the fact and see if there's any logical reasoning or if I can find any log logical reasoning behind it. And if I do find it, I usually think that it's true. <laughs> while I just invented it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah think for example, one of the stats right now is that uh, I live in Brussels. And so Belgium is, is, is divided in three parts. It's Flanders, Wallonia, and Brussels. And so in Brussels, there's way more deaths than in the rest of Belgium. And so I was talking about this with my girlfriend yesterday, and we were thinking, I, I was trying to find a reason why that would be, and trying to find a logical reason or some, some causal relationship between people in Brussels being more poor than abroad or living closer together. I mean, I, I, there could be, it could be fully random, you know, and the, just the fact that I'm trying to find a causal relationship that I find plausible doesn't really mean that it's of any value or even remotely true. Mm, yeah. When you can't see the details of what those deaths are, you don't really know that much as in mm -hmm. maybe people retire and live outside, but then when they get like more decrepit, they sort of go into our home that's in Brussels and maybe the things that people do where you have accidents might happen in Brussels. Yeah, or like it could it could be fully random, you know? Yeah, yeah, so many things. I think it also puts that there's two ways to look at things. Like everything is both good and bad at the same time. So kind of from like the Buddhism book that we went into, like where weed is not necessarily like a bad thing. It's still like a plant that grows. It depends on how you view it kind of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Or um, even like the coronavirus is, could be a really useful thing for humanity in the long term if, if, if it teaches us mm -hmm. lots of things and gives us all a chance to spend like 12 weeks at home thinking about life and what the point is and what we actually value. We may actually have a much better life afterwards when we realize that we like our human connections and doing good in the world and that perhaps some of the jobs where we are kind of pointless that we do. And I don't know, it could be lots of good, but it could be really bad. And mm -hmm. yeah. Another topical one relating to good and bad, although maybe not quite so different is the main difference between government bailouts and smoking is that when someone states that this is my last cigarette, it might actually be true. Uh, that's extremely, extremely topical because the day before yesterday, the news came out that uh, in the US and across the world, yeah. governments are firing up the printing presses, yeah, yeah, as they, I like to say. Basically, like no limits on some things and this is getting a bit nuts, Yeah, which is good. But yeah, we might be paying off these bailouts for a very long time and over last week, we had like a succession on, in UK. Like Monday, they're like, we've got this amazing unprecedented levels of bailouts and all this stuff. And then by Wednesday, they're like, 
we went really far. We didn't go nearly far enough. We're going, it's amazing, unprecedented level of bailouts. And then again, by Friday, they were like, okay, basically we're going to pay everyone's wages for three months and we're just going nuts and we're doing everything. And you're like, okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it, they probably will. And so, as you said, it's good on the short term for some of the companies now. I think the governments are going to be in trouble and especially the currency debasement might be a potential result of this. I'm not a Keynesian. I follow the Austrian school of monetary policy. And so I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of, of inflation and money bumping and low interest rates. Yeah. So uh, I'm very curious to see what the future will bring, but I'm, I'm very happy with my current Bitcoin holdings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think that part of the reason to do that is just to stop people's worrying and like the mental health implications of staying at home for 12 weeks when you're worried about enough things and then also your job and stuff and people perhaps just trying to do other ways to make money and things could be worse if they weren't doing this. And because there's so many people who just didn't want to give up work and try to carry on holding on to their, like their ways of life. And if at least the government's there to support them on those things, there's less potential for virus spreading if people aren't trying to find other ways to make money and do stuff. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, as well as the economy, also part of the life-saving thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, back to the sure. quote. Uh, <laughs> it's nice because most people sort of are more cynical about people saying they're giving up smoking. So it's nice to see a quote that actually sort of <laughs> makes the point that often people aren't doing it, but at least sometimes they do do it. Which is another useful thing for right now is that if you are a smoker, now is a great time to give up because it's <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help your risk factors right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now it's probably the best time to stop. It's yeah. always a good time to stop, but also a good time to go on a diet with all the panic buying and stuff and you can kind of chill out a lot more by just not getting involved in it and eating less yeah ironically i've been eating more and i'm doing less sports yeah this is a not the best combination common thing from a lot of people (laughs) i've heard yeah being stuck inside (laughs) and being around all your food because you've all panic bought and you've got lots of fresh food that you need to finish (laughs) and it's like oh fuck's sake Yeah. (laughs) yeah full fridges okay next quotes which I liked very much. Um, the opposite of manliness is not cowardice, but the opposite of manliness is technology. And and for me, that one was the one where I was like, ah, oh, actually, because when I ask you, describe to me uh, a very manly man. Like Hercules, <laughs> The Rock, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you don't, when you see someone that's just lost on the phone, you don't think of a manly man. Or the same with like, you know, Einstein or Yuval Noah Harari. You don't think of them as just sort of being driven around by their phone. They're very assertive. They do what they plan to do. They don't let the phone sort of dictate their lives. Is that what you're saying? No, the, w- the way I look at it, for me, manliness first has to do with like strength mm-hmm. and dominance. And so what technology has done in the past, well, ever since technology existed, is make life easier and yeah. make strength less important. And so for me, when I think about a manly man, I don't know why I always think about a lumberjack, you know? Yeah, yeah. A guy exactly. with a beard, lots of hair, Definitely. sweaty, who's cutting wood. And yeah, it made me realize that not necessarily, it doesn't really say something about people who use a lot of technology, but it does show to me that uh, technology, like what we consider to be, to be manly is actually remainders from, from distant times. And also like less efficient times or less cultured times where technology didn't exist and we had to do everything by ourselves. 
and everything that technology has done is make life easier and make the need to be manly lower and lower. Yeah. It does relate. He talks about this a lot in various ways about being dependent on things and it goes into his, like my first thought about him saying like when you're in the shower, like not having thoughts that distract you. And he goes a lot into, well, I don't know if that's any technology as such, but he talks a lot about the issues of having a job and he's got some silly quotes about salaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's one about salaries. Like the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates and a monthly salary. And I know that those, those who do not think that employment is systemic slavery are either blind or employed. And he's just very anti people having jobs, which is just another way of distracting yourself all day long. Like just doing stuff, like being given things to think about and work on and never really thinking about like the bigger picture, long-term things for yourself or having your thoughts. But if you're working in a job where you're doing something that's actually useful for the world and that's what you want to be doing, it's kind of cool. And certainly like right now, people that work in shops and like supermarkets are pretty bloody, pretty useful to, to humanity at the moment. And yeah. so suddenly change what is like a heroic, useful job at the moment, which is kind of funny. And delivery drivers and all these kind of things that we would maybe turn our noses up to. But actually, they're pretty cool people, it turns out, and make the world go round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I find ironic is that when you talk about this, it's pretty clear that the, the author, so Taleb, he looks at his own life and what he likes to do, and he then uses that to make a judgment about other people and what they should do mm. and what, is, what a value, valuable human actually does. Ironically, that, that is actually the whole premise of his book, which is you're using a model that you know and understand and you're trying, you're using it or you're fitting uh, information to that mold. Yeah, to fit your view. Fit. And so, exactly. And so, <laughs> ironically, um, here, well, in, in these kind of quotes, for me, it seems like he makes a very big judgment about people because he thinks that they are the same as he or should be the same as he is. Yeah. Uh, well, people, people are different. So Yeah, he's got quotes about you can't argue with people that only want to be proved right kind of thing. And you feel like he is one of those people that you couldn't argue with, that he would just, he's just so full of his own intelligence and certainty that he is right, that I just feel he would never listen to you in an argument because he kind of already would come in expecting that he would be right mm, <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's true. Which I haven't had an argument with him, but. He just he just comes across like that, just the way he insults everyone that ever has had an opinion against him. And you're like, some of these things aren't fully true. And, and some of his quotes here are actually like kind of wrong. We haven't really highlighted those, but he does say some things that you're like, actually, there's quite a lot of holes in what you just said in this quote. And yeah, anyway. Do you have some examples of that? I wish I, I, wish I did. <laughs> those were ones that I kind okay. of, I should have written more of those ones down and didn't because I didn't mm. feel that useful. I'm not going to lie. I... I wouldn't want to go into a discussion with him. No, um, no. <laughs> I'm not I mean, smart he, enough for that. He'd probably win in most cases, but there, there are scenarios where you're just like, actually, I just don't have time for you, like not listening to this like, other point. One of the quotes that I liked as well was what made medicine so successful for so long is that its successes were prominently displayed and its mistake, mistakes literally buried. And this, I mean, is, is a very good illustration of the survivorship bias where yeah well what it's literally what the quote says right i mean people that survived they went on and say like holy crap this doctor he did something crazy you know he used leeches to tap my blood and miraculously it helped me get through it 
uh, while 99 other people that were treated in the same way actually died, but they didn't go on telling people about it. So in that way, that's when leeches and bloodletting started to become popular and seen as uh, as the best way uh, to treat someone. Yeah. Any insights from, from your side on that? It does relate to some of the things he talks about in Black Swan, where he mentions survivorship bias a lot with the gamblers and every gambler will talk about the fact they had a lucky streak when they started because you only mm-hmm. carry on gambling if you've had a lucky streak when you start I mean that you're just bound to have a lucky streak as soon as you start gambling basically but yeah there's lots of things to do with like health as mentioned in the quote where we kind of do the wrong thing because it seems to have worked and and just back to your thing about we try to fit stories to make things fit with the same but of procrastes kind of thing as in you see something and it's not necessarily cause isn't correlation which just comes up everywhere yeah i mean it's 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 the basis of his whole thesis right it's uh, humans are bad at thinking about stuff yeah which especially is, when it suddenly has a story yeah attached to it which relates currently to the issue with uh, all the misinformation and people are sending around these like little things that sound kind of like good explanations of things but they're just not based on fact at all and it's just mostly mm-hmm. bollocks and there's just so little information anyways and the amount of people that haven't been tested is is like the vast majority of people that have ever come in contact with the disease so we really have no idea what the actual effects are as an overall which is just silly and we don't really know what the speed is progressing at over different countries because there's just so many different levels of data in different places and it's just all very confusing and nuts and trying to make models fit are wrong and trying to give people explanations about stuff is just very natural but it's going to be basically all wrong and even the there's a paper that came out scientific paper like not last week the week before that then dictated some of the government policy here but it's already having flaws put in well highlighted from what they wrote because trying to come out with something scientific right now like straight away is it's just too quick to actually know these things but people you know trying to do their best but even like the best science at the moment is still really flawed but things that sound useful which can come out quicker because of science is trying to be sensible and right are going to be wrong yeah. but people are sharing them because it sounds like it's an explanation and they want explanations exactly yeah i i, I noticed that <clears throat> i'm always interested to get more information on, on the whole crisis and what's happening while Taleb would certainly tell me that I should stop watching the news and only read like monthly reports of what's happening because extra information does not give you greater insights. Although we as humans tend to, to not think that. Mm. And so it's actually been proven that, what was it? I think in Black Swan, he talks about an experiment that was done with um, bookmakers on horses, on horse races that were given. So they were asked, okay, you can, you can know 10 things about a list of horses. And for these 10 things, you have to make a prediction on which horse is going to win. And so their predictions with these 10 characteristics of the horses, let's say that they had a a percentage of accuracy percentage of 40%, let's say. And so when they were given 10 extra characteristics, so more information, their accuracy in guessing the right, the winner of the race was actually reduced, ironically. And so there's only a limited amount of information that you need to make a good assessments and we as humans tend to gather more and more information and 
basically way more than we need. Yeah, to the point where it actually harms us because we then are more confident in our lack of knowledge. <laughs> exactly. That's something I didn't say, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. The, we get more information. Our assessment gets more and more wrong, but we get more and more confident, mm. which is probably the key. In yeah, yeah. We have like a deep explanation for something, although it's still not actually right kind of thing. And yeah, mm -hmm. I back to other things, which is definitely a problem. And it does, you know, it limits your moments for doing useful stuff. It limits your moments in the shower kind of thing. If you're just constantly reading news and catching up on things when you could be doing other things with your time. Like Absolutely. Opportunity cost. Yeah. Yeah. I'm speaking to my flatmate. Who, he's been doing this thing called Woke Wednesdays where he just doesn't use any technology on a Wednesday. But with all the coronavirus stuff, he's just doing it every other day at the moment. And he's ended up writing a book already. <laughs> and then you're like... Yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's impressive. Holy. Yeah. Because, you know, 12 weeks to yourself, you could literally waste this whole 12 weeks just being kind of anxious the whole time and reading the news and mm -hmm. not really changing mm -hmm. your state. Or you could mm -hmm. turn your technology off and like check it every few days to sort of see if there's any change in the laws that you can do and these kind of things. But it's not really going to make that much difference. And you can spend most of that time being a lot more chilled out, <laughs> not so worried, and actually having a concentration span, which you could do things with. Mm -hmm. Fully agree. It's a lesson I'm going to take away from uh, this conversation in the next uh, days and, and weeks. So yeah, any, any concluding thoughts on, uh, on the book? Uh, there's, there's one quote I actually kind of wanted to talk about, which I didn't mention, was go, go ahead. to be a philosopher is to know through long walks by reasoning and reasoning only a priori which is what others can only potentially learn from their mistakes, crises, accidents, and bankruptcies. That is a posteriori. Mm -hmm. So essentially, as in a philosopher like him, you know, talking about the black swan and talking about things like this would happen, he was kind of learning from thinking to himself and planning and expecting stuff to happen as opposed to just going along and then letting mental stuff happen and then be like, oh, crap, mental things can happen and I need to learn afterwards as in basically i think mm -hmm. being able to learn from anything before it happens is huge which is a big one as in the world knew about this a long time ago and like, like donald trump's been quoted saying recently like we, d we just never knew how could we ever have expected that even though like a, a month ago he was denying that it was ever a problem and you know china was there saying it's a huge problem italy was saying it's a huge problem and every single government across the world knew and there was science on it coming from china about how bad it was but we kind of ignored it until they got to Italy and we kind of ignored it until it became a big enough problem in each of our own countries before we started shutting our borders. Like no one did it in advance. Like the African countries could have shut their borders a few weeks ago when Italy did and they would be fine, but they haven't because they, you know, they wanted to continue training. It didn't seem like it was a problem. And now every country literally across the planet is infected, even though a lot of them, had it so much later and they could have done something about it they could have learned from the other mistakes but they didn't everyone chose to make the mistake themselves before then going oh there is a problem shit we need to do something which is quite interesting and it's been interesting to watch the waves of just public perception as well and if you go, go for travel from one place to another or like i spoke to my friend in brazil and or my friend in costa rica who was just like why why is the world so panicking about these things oh the news is so silly <laughs> and, and then like a few weeks later, it's like oh this is a serious thing <laughs> and yeah. yeah yeah i fully agree i think from personal point of view i also have the tendency to rely on mistakes to learn more than to think ahead of what could go wrong 
So it's a very good quote. It's one uh, I would like to sit on the toilet with. Yeah, yeah. Like whenever <laughs> your mum used to give you like a hot plate when you were young and like, don't touch it because it's hot. And the first thing you do is touch it. And you're like, oh. exactly. <laughs> oh, Should have listened. Damn. You're like, I want to know how hot it is <laughs> just to see if I could like <laughs> move it about a bit or if it'll like, burn me. I could just yeah. trust these people. Well, I mean, it's, it's still the best way to learn, right? Make mistakes. But it's true that it's, it's extremely valuable skills to, a skill to be able to learn um, from others' mistakes mm. and not only from your own. Yeah, yeah, which is something as in, I don't know, but I remember when I was young when people used to talk about traveling or like their experiences, I didn't really listen that much. It sort of seemed a bit less real and kind of abstract. It wasn't until like I had my own stories from traveling and doing things and like I'd, I'd observe myself telling other people and seeing them not realize that it was kind of real and like a big thing for me to then realize that when other people give me advice, it's like because they've actually done that thing, whether it's like travel or business or anything, you're like, oh, wait, this person learned this really valuable lesson. I could actually learn this as well. And mm-hmm. in the same way, we learned about the world wars and history and all these sort of crazy things and, and like the plague and pandemics and things. But you don't really think of it as anything that could ever happen now or like countries could change and like borders could be shut. It's sort of, it seems like this fantasy world back in history of this is ancient civilization. There's nothing that relates to us. And then suddenly all our borders are shut and we are in like this sort of weird environment. It is like a war and you're like, okay, actually these things can happen. And you sort of, you start being able to learn more from history when you realize these things can happen to you. But it's the same information that we could have learned just by reading about it earlier kind of thing, which is frustrating. All right. So any concluding thoughts on the book? Uh, yeah, it's good. Definitely have it in your toilet. Yes. I was going to say exactly that. It's a very good toilet book or perhaps a bedside book. I think it's interesting for every, anyone to just like, if you, if you have a walk to go through, just have the book, read a few quotes, pick one you'd like to think about and just go on your walk and let your mind go free. Mm. Although maybe you should just go for a walk with nothing, as he says, and <laughs> Have your mind get free on your own ideas. It's confusing. I think, although on the subject of having ideas, it can be useful to build on other people's ideas. As in, Mm -hmm. I wrote, as in one section of one of my comedy sets, is sort of, there was one joke that was like, I'd heard somewhere else, but I then ended up writing like 10 jokes all on like the same kind of theme, but were all like my original ones. But you kind of just take like that bit of a trigger to sort of Mm -hmm. make these things happen. So maybe one of these quotes yeah. as in some of the stuff we discussed was very much our own original thoughts that came from like the one thing that he said and then we have had other different things coming in so yeah depends on how you're feeling it's useful to think from learn from others and to learn from yourself it's a mix mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah especially from someone as Taleb who is yeah spent a lot of time thinking n- not a lot of people think the way he does not a lot of people like the things he thinks so yeah I think yeah it's uh, it's definitely interesting to 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 read this book and to think about the uh, aphorisms. Mm, for sure, but yeah, I liked it. I'm not sure I give it like a stupidly high rating. Depends on what you wanted to do with it, really. I guess like a yeah six in terms of yeah, it's not that useful in terms of take homes. Mm. In that I don't feel like something's going to happen. There's going to be a scenario when I'm like, you must read this book to someone. Whereas like. The Black Swan is quite recommendable for different people and things and like some of the other books we've covered. Whereas I don't see myself recommending this book to people for specific problems. Yeah, I do. Totally if do. someone who wants to, like, he's getting into philosophy, uh, I would say, hey, this is a good book to have in your toilet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or, or to study. I mean, yeah. if you're willing to put in the effort and, and like spend like a week with this book, 
it's probably worth it. Definitely. It's a good place to start. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's for me, it's very similar to Final and, and Infinite Games, where it makes you think about stuff, but not nothing life-changing. Yeah. The same with that. I preferred listening to people talking about Final and Infinite Games than I did reading it. In the same way, I feel like I preferred this conversation than I did reading the book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. I think that uh, concludes the episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, in the next week, we're going to be um, reading the book Anti-Fragile, which is the next book in the series. So another book from uh, Nassim Taleb, which is going to follow the same train of thought, have his same uh, arrogant self in it. So yeah, see you then. Can't wait. Bye.